Amen. Man, thank you guys for being here. Good gracious. I keep hearing that you never can predict the weather in Iowa. I have heard that it sometimes snows on Easter Sunday. I never in a million years would have believed it unless I've seen it. There's actually snow right now in the parking lot. You guys made it. I got up and watched the news this morning and the guy on the news, I'm not gonna tell you what channel, he said, it irritated me. He said, this is a good morning for you guys to go back to bed. That's what he said. And I said, I almost phoned in. I didn't know how to get a hold of him. No, come to church. It's a perfect morning to be here in worship. I just, uh, man, I love Easter Sunday morning. We had a great Good Friday service. Those are some of my favorite times for us to get together. And I certainly love Easter Sunday. Who doesn't? You know, it's predictable for many families. It's funny how we can kind of turn a holiday uh, that really has spiritual significance and meaning. I mean, maybe sometimes shift it a little bit and miss the focus and make it about us. And we do it at Christmas and we do it at Easter sometimes. And, and it's not, you know, I'm not mad about it, but I think sometimes it's important to remember that there's a real reason that we're here and, and the reason we're going to be talking about this morning. But I was thinking back on a time when we had an Easter egg hunt as a kid. And uh, I have two sisters and uh, we're separated by three years, so three years younger and then six years younger. And we were at a relative's house and, and uh, they had a, a dog that, um, you know, wasn't particularly well behaved and, and has some attitude problems. And I'll just, you know, let you put that in the back of your of uh, your minds there, and I want to tell you the story. So we were kids, we were excited, we did like a lot of kids, we had a basket, um, you know, we were going to go on an Easter egg hunt, we had the fake grass in there, and we were all ready to go, we had our outfits on, I mean, it was Easter Sunday morning, and, and so we went into the living room where this Easter hunt was supposed to take place, and we hadn't really been in the living room much because the living room was like the place where kids couldn't go. And it had a light-colored couch and light-colored carpet and light-colored curtains and antiques and different things all over the place. And, um, and so we, we took off to hunt these Easter eggs. Now, we knew exactly what to expect, right? We were going to find candy and sometimes cash. And, you know, usually it was quarters and things like that uh, in these Easter eggs. And what we didn't know was that the dog that my grandmother had, who had the attitude and the behavior problems, uh, like to go behind the couch, which also seemed like a really good place to hide Easter eggs when you're a kid, and um, drop his own Easter surprises um, <laughs> when he didn't want to go outside. And so he would, if you haven't picked up already, he would number two behind the couch. Now, when you have chocolate eggs and chocolate Tootsie Rolls and chocolate bunnies and there's, you know, so um, you go hunting for your Easter eggs and you come back and when you have little sisters, and they reach into their basket and they, is this chocolate or, you know, um, sometimes you don't get what you're expecting on Easter Sunday morning. Sometimes you get a surprise. I'm like, I don't know, taste it. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> My wife told me not to start this off with a poop story, but I did because I knew that it would get your, your, your interest and in, in your attention today. We're going to be talking about an Easter surprise, and maybe you knew exactly how this Easter Sunday would go. You got up and you knew what you were going to do, what you were going to eat for breakfast, who you were going to sit by in church, where you're going for lunch, what family or friends you're going to see, who you're going to text, and you have no idea what God has in store for you. The Bible tells us that God's word goes out and returns back, and it never returns back void without accomplishing his purpose. Now, I want to explain that to you very quickly. You may not believe it. That's okay. It's still true. Uh, let me tell you what that means. It means that because you're here, right here, and it's not by accident that you're here. You might think it is, but God brought you here. Because you were here, there's a purpose. God has a purpose. And so his word will go out. You'll read it. You'll hear it. You'll see it. You'll internalize it. It goes out, and it never comes back void without accomplishing its purpose. So 
God's gonna do something in you if you let him, if you lean in and you listen, ears to hear, eyes to see. Today could be the best Easter surprise that you've ever had. I'll tell you, when Jesus came on the scene, the world was filled with things that you and I can relate to right now. Fear, frustration, fatigue, failure. I mean, the world was exhausted from trying to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to be right enough, to work their way, earn their way, think their way, act their way to God. And it was impossible. The weight of the impossibility weighed so heavily on those who tried to be religious and devout and those who didn't that there had to be a solution. Now, we talked at length on Good Friday about the solution and about how Adam and Eve sinned and when they sinned in the garden, God, because he was loving and merciful, well, his heart broke, but because he was just and holy, he had to curse humankind. And as he cursed humankind, each and every person from that point on was born cursed. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, that all are born sinful, and the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. But for several thousand years, the world lived without this answer, without this Savior, looking forward to an event that would change everything. And as I look at our world today, I see many of us suffering, struggling with fear, with frustration, with fatigue, with failure. And I was thinking about Jesus' example his example at the end of his life here on earth, a time when he was facing these things in a way that you and I will never face, but yet in some way we face them in our own way. His example of getting through, of getting beyond, of finding hope at the end. And I wanna take you there this morning briefly, and it's a strange way to start an Easter Sunday morning, but I think it's gonna relate I think you're going to listen, and I know that if you listen, God will do something special in you, particularly if you're identifying with any of these things in your life right now. We're going to fast forward in Jesus' life until sort of the end of the time when he was uh, doing his ministry here on earth where his events of the arrest and the crucifixion and the resurrection are all about to take place, and we find Jesus in a garden. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, that to this we were called because Christ suffered for us. He left us an example, and this example is one that we should follow. We should follow his example exactly in his footsteps. What do we do when life hurts? How do we get through times of pain? How do I get to my days of victory? So let's look and see what Jesus had to say. Jesus took his disciples with him to Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane, there was a place that Jesus went. And if you read the Bible or if we spend time together and, and you listen to me teach, I talk about this a lot because it was one of Jesus' favorite places. Maybe you have a favorite place where you feel that you can hear the Lord, where you go and you just feel like it's easier for you to communicate with God, that um, the Celtic Christians called them thin places. Maybe it's a spot near your house. Maybe it's a trail. Maybe it's a vacation spot. For Jesus, this is a spot where he went. It was a, an olive garden. Well, olive garden sounds like a restaurant. It was an olive grove uh, on top of a mountain. And it was just Jesus' favorite place to hang out. And so Jesus went up with him, took the disciples. And he said to his disciples, stay here with me while I go pray. Now, Jesus knew his arrest was coming. His crucifixion was coming. He knew that his hours here on earth, they were done. They were over. The time was at hand. Then he took Peter, James, and John, his best friends, a little further. Now listen to this. Jesus was filled with anguish and deep distress. And he said to them, listen to this, guys. This is Jesus talking. 
My heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm gonna die. Can you relate? Maybe not in this moment, but has there been a time when the weight of the world, maybe the things you've caused, maybe the things that were done to you, maybe the pain that you have because of the people you love in your life, watching them make the kinds of choices, whatever it is, you feel like you're gonna die. My heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. So this is what Jesus did. He reached out to his friends. Now I'll ask you this question. What kind of friends do you have in your life? To whom would you reach out in your darkest moments when you feel like the world is crushing you and you're going to die? In a sense, you're doing that this morning by being here. But do you have these kind of people in your life who you will trust to point you toward God? Really, really important. Jesus says, my heart is so overwhelmed and crushed with sorrow that I feel like I'm dying. He said, just sit here and watch with me. A translation, a paraphrase, just hang out with me. Would you just be here? I can't talk about it. I don't have the words to express it. If I could express it, you probably wouldn't understand it. I'm not good at communicating my feelings. That's what you or I may say. Could you just hang out? Could you hear what I'm not saying? Could you be here and give me your strength? Just the ministry of presence. He reached out to his friends. Then Jesus took a few more steps and he fell on the ground and he prayed. Doesn't get any more real than that. Fear, frustration, fatigue, and even the thought of failure. The God-man, 100% God and 100% man, experiencing everything you and I would experience but not sinning. And then he does three things. Three things, and he and his disciples were looking forward to the event we celebrate this morning. But the three things that he does are the things that you and I do to get through these times of fear and failure and frustration and fatigue. And I want to show you these things. Jesus fell face down on the ground and he prayed that if possible, he wouldn't have to, to suffer what was ahead of him. He prayed, Abba, which means daddy. Abba, father. I know you can do all things. I don't want to have to drink this cup of suffering. Nevertheless, I want your will, not mine. Now, let me show you the power here. You can do this in your life just like Jesus if you continue to listen the rest of the time this morning and make sure that things are lined up in your life. The first thing that Jesus did is he declared God's power. He said, I know you can do everything, God. That may not be a problem for you. It's not a problem for me. I believe God can do everything. I believe God created the world. I believe that God created me. I believe that he can do anything he wants to do. I think God's all-powerful. I know that he's all-knowing. I believe that he's everywhere. I have no problem with that. But Jesus started off his prayer saying, I know you can do anything. That's a great way to start our prayers off because it reminds us of who we are and who God is. But then he gets personal and he says to God, his father, he says, I don't want to go through this pain. That level of honesty as he calls out to his father, daddy, I know you can do anything. I want it to stop. I want you to take me out of this. I want you to fix it. 
could you just not make me have to endure? And then this third thing, friends, this is where the power comes from. This is the supernatural. This is the Easter miracle. He says, even if you choose not to take it away, you can give me the strength to go through. I want what you want, even more than I want what I want. I want to live my life with purpose. Can you imagine being able to face the fears, the frustration, the failure, and the fatigue of life? And the disciples who were watching, it's closest, the inner circle, looking at Jesus. What's next? Well, they were looking forward, asking the question, how could this be true? And they had no idea what they were going to see. In just a few minutes, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. Peter tried to cut somebody's head off and missed and just took off an ear. Jesus did another miracle, went to a trial at night, which was just by definition illegal, according to Jewish custom and Roman law, charged with crimes that Rome could care less about, but the Jews had fabricated and manufactured because Jesus threatened their money and their power. And Jesus allowed himself to be led to the cross. The Easter miracle makes it possible for us to have peace with God and purpose in this life. So let's fast forward. We talked on Friday about the crucifixion of Jesus, and we talked about who Jesus means to us and the significance of this sacrifice. And today we talk about the resurrection. So we're going to fast forward. We're going to leap ahead a couple of days. And on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared and they went to the tomb. These women, these friends of Jesus, had watched Jesus die. They knew Jesus had been buried. They knew that he was in the tomb, and they knew exactly how their Easter Sunday morning was going to go. They were going to get up. They were going to have breakfast. They were going to go together to the tomb and pay their respects to their best friend who had died, perhaps having conversations about how what they had hoped to be true wasn't true because clearly he was still in the grave. Maybe after that, go to brunch. Who knows? Maybe they had some projects. But they had a pretty good idea of what they were going to do that Easter Sunday morning, and they were surprised. Now, can you imagine how surprised you'd be if you went to visit the tomb of a dead person, even though they told you they were going to rise again, and they weren't there? On the very first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they'd prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, what they were wondering is, did somebody steal him? Did somebody get here before us to try to make it look good? Did somebody pull some mischief, some sleight of hand? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men, angels, in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said, why are you looking for somebody who's alive where dead people hang out? That's a great question. Now, the woman's answer would be, we watched him die. But the angels knew something that you and I know. The angels knew the miracle of Easter. 
They knew that you don't look for a living person among the dead. He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day to be raised again. Then they remembered these words. When he came back to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others who would listen. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But the apostles, they didn't believe the women. You and I probably wouldn't have either. What are you talking about? You couldn't find Jesus? Did you forget where it was? Did you get distracted? They didn't believe the women because the words seemed like nonsense to them. Peter, however, got up. He loved Peter, don't you? We've talked so much about Peter. He got up and he took off running to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And then he went away. What? Wondering to himself, man, what happened? Maybe these women are right. Wondering what in the world happened. Now, do you know what happened? I know what happened. They were looking for the living among the dead. Now, let me stop here for just a second and talk to you about how we do the same thing. The reason that so many times we get filled with fear and frustration and fatigue and failure is because we keep trying to look for life among death. And we blame things like COVID and inflation and threats of recession and politics and wars. But in reality, it's because so many of us are looking for hope and for meaning and for peace. And we're looking for life, but we're looking for it in dead places. And the miracle of Easter is that we don't have to look in dead places for life. We can look to the one who overcame death to give us this life. And that's the miracle of Easter. The one who said, God, you can do anything. The one who said, I don't want to go through it, but I want your will more than mine, had defeated sin, defeated Satan, defeated death once and for all. Provided the way to reverse the curse that had been given to us. Because Adam and Eve earned it, and you and I have done a really good job of maintaining that tradition. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8 writes, For what I received, I just passed it on to you because it's really important. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And after that, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some of them have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. So what's the point? The point is that there's a reality. The point is that there is a worldview. There is objective truth, and the objective truth looks like this. Now, we, some of us may not agree with this, but this is the truth that I base my life on. It's the truth communicated through the scriptures, 
and demonstrated so faithfully throughout hundreds and thousands of years. And the truth is this, that you and I were desperately broken from the moment we were born until the moment we find Jesus. And there's no way to fix it. And some folks have a hard time acknowledging that. I'm not one of them. You don't have to spend much time with me to find out that I'm broken and I have no way to fix it. And I can look at you and spend time with you and I can see the same thing. And so for me, it makes sense. I'm a sinner, broken, destined for hell, unable to help myself until I put my faith in Jesus. Because Jesus, by dying on the cross, by taking on our sin, by rising again, defeating sin, Satan, and death, paid the price for my sin so that I could be forgiven of my sin. The Bible says that he's faithful to do it, but he's also justified in doing it because he did this work that you and I couldn't do. And so I agree with him and said, yes, I'm broken. We're broken. We need Jesus. I need forgiveness. And the second step is, I'm in. I want to follow you just like Peter, James, and John to the garden. I want to follow you in tough times. I want to follow you in tremendous times. I want to follow you through this life. I want to follow you. I'm in. This is the life that I want. I can't believe you've chosen me. And then Jesus has his arms outstretched and says, let's go. Now you're going to see the reason that you were created. Before I go there, I want to tell you something that's really important. In this salvation, all of us born, inheriting original sin, destined for an eternity in hell, no longer have that destiny hanging over our heads. And you and I have been faced with and are faced with the idea of death so much these days. We see it on TV. We've experienced it in our communities. We've grieved over it in our church families and our biological families. But for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, for the person who believes in the Easter miracle and this power, death does not happen for them. That when you get to the end of your life, two things happen to you, my friend. The first thing is you can look back without regret. And I'm gonna talk about that in just a second. But the second thing is that when you shut your eyes at the very last moment, when we leave our biological life behind, when we don't breathe anymore, we instantly awaken to the reality of heaven. And we see Jesus with his arm outstretched. And this is what he says. Welcome home. You were good and you were faithful. Now, as you look back on your life, you can look back on your life, and who knows how many days we have left. Perhaps tomorrow, perhaps 30 years, perhaps 50 years, perhaps for some 70, 75, 80 years. 
looking back on your life without regret, too good to be true. How in the world could I have freedom from this fear, this fatigue, this failure? And Jesus not only gives us this freedom from the curse and the guarantee of heaven, but he gives us something that I need so badly and so do you. And that is that he gives us a purpose. Jesus included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. So let me tell you about this. I like this, such a loaded statement here. And this is the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not the NIV like we normally, we study, but I just love the way that it's worded. Because the life you and I have in mind, well, it's, it's a good life. It's the best life we know. It's the life we think we're created to live, perhaps. It's because we're driven, we're focused. Maybe it's the life we found that we have just fallen into. Maybe we think it's coincidental, but it's our life, so we like it. It's the one that, that's familiar. And all of a sudden, this person, Jesus, comes along and he says, when you choose to follow me, there's a whole other life out there. And this is a life you've never seen before. And you go, well, why haven't I seen it? I'm not sure I want a life I haven't seen. It seems scary. It's unknown. I don't like things that I fear. I want to be able to, to see the next steps. I'm a planner. I'm a... And Jesus goes, you don't have to worry about it. And the reason you haven't seen it before is because I've given you new eyes. I've given you new ears. I've activated something in you that's going to make sense to something that's been in you your whole life, but you've never actually known why. And you begin to live your life with purpose, with the rhythm that comes from somebody besides you. And my gosh, that's what I want. Because if it comes from me, it's worthless. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul again says, we are God's handiwork. God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Don't use or look at good works and, and sort of be patronizing and, and superficial. We're talking about specific works, great works, strategic works, the kind of works that God only prepared for you. And he connects people and opportunities and situations in advance. And all he's waiting to do is to show you what they are. So friends, certainly, you can overcome fear, frustration, fatigue, and failure. The way to do that is to follow Jesus by asking forgiveness and saying, yes, I'm in. And then experience this freedom that comes and the promises of no regrets and of eternity in heaven with Jesus. You may ask the question, how in the world do I find out what that life looks like? And if you even thought that question, if you even thought about asking that question, if it even crossed your mind, I'm gonna tell you, I'm really glad you asked. If you haven't thought to ask that question, I want you to ask that question to me silently, don't do it out loud. I wonder how in the world I'd figure out what that life looks like. Because that's the job, that's the ministry that, that God's called us to as a, as a pastoral staff, as a church, is figuring out how to follow the Lord and impacting the world around us, showing them the hope and peace and freedom that comes by following Jesus and doing it together as a team or a herd. So this very Wednesday night, just three days from now, in this room, we're gonna be starting a class. We didn't know exactly what to call it. Sessions, a seminar. Um, that all sounds, I don't know, I, I didn't love school. I went to a bunch of it, never really liked it. This is the good kind. So whatever word works for you, put that 
at the end of shape. And it's going to coincide with the beginning of a teaching series called My Turn to Serve on Sunday mornings. For the next five weeks on Sunday mornings, I'll be talking to you about our turn to serve, how to view the world around us, not as me-centered and me-focused, but to view it like Jesus. And on Wednesday evenings, beginning this Wednesday for the next five weeks, Dan and Lori Shouse will be teaching us or leading us through this class. The first week, talking to us about our spiritual gifts. Man, what's a spiritual gift? It's what God's gifted you to do. It's the way that he's gifted you. At the point in time you become a follower, he gives you something that you may not know is there. We help you figure out how to find out what that is. The next week, we're gonna be looking at the H in the SHAPE acronym, and that's HEART. What do you love? You may say, well, I know what I love. You may know what you love, but you may not know how to use that for God's kingdom and according to his purpose. A, the third week, abilities. What do I do and what do I do well? We love to talk about our abilities, right? But how do I use my abilities, what God's made me good at? How do I use it with purpose? P, this is my favorite, personality, because we're all a little weird, a little quirky, but God works the quirky and the weird together and he puts something together that's beautiful and we look at it and go, how in the world does this work? But it does. And you figure out how your personality, how you uniquely can be used by God because he's created you for a purpose and on purpose. And then E, the last week, the fifth week, it's just five weeks, experience. What have you done in your life? Now, this is an important week because we use the things we've done that are positive, like degrees, achievements, travel, marriage, but also the negative things, the hard things, tough things like divorce, death, depression, the good things and the bad things, the things we've experienced and how God works all things together for good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so I just cannot encourage you strongly enough to join Joy and I on Wednesday evenings, beginning this week, and on Sunday for the next five weeks because we're gonna figure this out together. And I wanna tell you again, I love you. And I wanna tell you again, I believe in you, and I know how hard you're trying. And we live in a world that sets itself up against following Jesus, filled with fear, fatigue, frustration, and failure. But Easter Sunday morning, the Easter miracle will set you free. Father, thank you so much for my friends.